we did not grow up with that advice that counseling was a really great positive. It's not just a sign that you're failing. It's acknowledgement that you are investing your time, your money, and your intention. You're manifesting the relationship you want to be having with your chosen partner. Hello and welcome to Mother the Mother. I am McLean McGowan. This podcast is an offering for all women to gather energetically, sister to sister, mother to mother, to co-create a sacred space for healing, educating, and sharing as we journey through motherhood and womanhood. It is such an incredibly powerful moment in time to be a woman, and I thank you for showing up on behalf of yourself and for all of the women in your lives, past, present, and future, to honor our matriarchal lines, all who came before, and all who will come after. Jema. Hi guys, thanks for joining today. Today's Real Talk is going to be on relationships, partnership, marriage, after having a baby. I think that, well, first of all, this is a massive topic and I won't be going into all of it because it's huge. I mean, whole careers are built on this and books um, discussing all the ins and outs of relationship with kids. But um, I just wanted to bring up the topic. I feel like a lot of people have been coming um, to me with questions about partnership, you know, whether it's the first couple of weeks postpartum or, you know, past clients calling me or texting me, you know, six months out, a year out having a lot going on with relationships. So I thought it was pertinent to bring it up today. Um, just keeping it real. I am hiding in my closet from my my girls. I just got home from work and will talk as long as I can before mom duty calls. So the first thing is, you know, the more information we have before having kids, the better. But that's not available to everybody. But if that is available to you, it's great to go to couples therapy or do couples work, just have those conversations about our fears, our insecurities, things from our own past about becoming a parent. You know, there's so much projection. We think we're so different than our mothers or fathers. And then we get into the role of parenting and we're like, I'm repeating what came before. And I was so determined not to. But you know, we are drawn as humans to what is familiar. That doesn't mean it's healthy. It's what's familiar. It is ingrained patterns and habits. So we both have them as, you know, when you're in partnership, I have them, my husband has them, and many, many of them are subconscious. So you can do a lot of the work, which I highly recommend. I love couples therapy. I think it's a beautiful tool. I did not do it before getting married or having kids, but we've done it after. But it would have been helpful, you know, possibly doing it while pregnant to really dive deep into looking at our unconscious thoughts and feelings about our roles as mother and father and things we wanted to do differently than our own parents, et cetera, et cetera. The biggest thing I think people just kind of attach to in the postpartum time is are you having sex or are you not having sex? And that's this like magical barometer. First of all, most people aren't having sex. I mean, 
statistically, I guess people are having sex. I just haven't met people that want to be having sex two weeks after birth. That's awesome if you fall into that category. And, you know, more props to you if that feels good to you and your body and your relationship. That's awesome. I just personally have never met that woman. And I think there's a lot of guilt and shame around it. With both of my kids, I didn't want to have, I think with my first, I didn't want to have sex for three months. And then with Goldie, I think it was even like four months. I can't remember. But it wasn't, it didn't feel like this huge deal to me. And I think I have a confidence since I am in the birth world of just really trusting my body and not rushing back. I also have an older husband that doesn't put a lot of pressure on me about that. He would never want me to have sex with him just out of a feeling of like charity or like throwing the man a bone, you know, like that's just not his deal. I know for some guys that is like a real thing though that women, you know, are conscious of and don't want to alienate their husbands. But what I see is there's this kind of hidden pressure that women are feeling. And I just want to speak to that because having a child, having a baby come out of your vagina is a very real thing. And, you know, I kind of joked about it after the birth of my kids. I was like, I, I don't want to have sex. Like I have PTSD vagina. But like the thought of having anything going up there, like being inserted was nothing that sounded good or would feel good. Like I mean, I remember my mood, my midwife told me, oh, yeah, you look great. Everything's fabulous. You're so healthy. Everything's back to where it should be. You can start having sex. This is at my six-week visit. And I just made the most like horrific grimacing face that she busted out laughing. She's like, no, it's good for you. And, you know, people say it's self-care and get back into it. It'll feel good once you do it. And you know what? I didn't want to. I didn't want to rush back to something that didn't feel authentic and that wasn't honoring my body. Like that felt re-traumatizing. And for a lot of women, statistically around the world, but I'll just focus on in this country, you know, one out of four, if not more, is sexually abused. All of that stuff is very common to come up during birth and labor. Very, very common. So if you haven't dealt with sexual abuse, sexual boundaries being overridden. It's very common for those things to come up during labor and birth. And I feel like that's another whole topic to be discussed. But if you have experienced that, it's really worth working through those things while you're pregnant. So you don't have to take that into the delivery room because it really can prevent your body from opening authentically and naturally um, to birth your baby. So on the postpartum side, you're dealing with that. Many women in the hospital births in the United States of America are having trauma to their bodies, the way they're treated by the doctors, by the nursing staff, um, especially, especially women of color have like seven times the amount of birth abuse as white women do. It's a very serious problem in our country. So you can imagine postpartum, A, if you've had sexual abuse, B, if you've had abuse in the hospital, and which feels like sexual abuse. Um, it is in your genitals. It is 
feeling like your power has been taken away from you. And it is a horrible, horrible feeling. I experienced some of that with my first birth. And, you know, it took me years to get over that. And on the spectrum, it wasn't the worst thing. I mean, far from the worst thing. And yet that is how my body held it and experienced it. So just something I think we all need to be talking about, like what feels good to your body. It's not about, you know, being this product, being this person for your husband to kind of, you know, act out physically with. It's like you have just gone through this huge awakening, this huge transition. And what your body wants to do should always come first. You're still healing. You're still needing that rest. You're still, you know, this butterfly coming out of its cocoon and any rushing in any way is not going to be beneficial. On the other side, you know, a lot of women can easily switch into this gear and then want to have no intimacy whatsoever with their partners. And that to me is a bigger problem. That to me is a sadder problem. Um, I was in a meeting the other day and this woman had just had sex for the first time after two years postpartum. You know, that is not rare. I've heard of longer years having sex postpartum. And, you know, as we all know, sex is an important part of partnership for most people. Some couples may not have sex. And if that works for them, that is fine. It's whatever works for you as a couple in your relationship. And I think we're so eager to see like, what's normal? What's normal? What, where on the range is my relationship? And the more you get into married life, you see there is no normal or a long relationship, whether you're married or not. I'm just kind of using marriage as that terminology of a, a long relationship. But, you know, there is, there is really no normal when it comes to relationship. And the intimacy is the bigger question because when you are intimate emotionally, physically, you know, it often will lead to sex or lead to sexual behavior. And that's another aspect is that penetration is not the end-all be-all. I mean, you know, most of us women know that. It's like, like in and out, bam, done. Like that's not the most intimate you can be with a partner, you know? So there are lots of other things you can do as well. And for postpartum, you know, I always talk with my clients about just like cuddling, like having eye contact, massage, having your partner rub your feet or just, you know, feel like they're in it with you and supporting you. Like all of that is intimacy. And it's not just like, okay, gearing up for sex, let's do it. Another thing is a lot of people haven't had sex sober. Like it's a, it's a thing. Like look back over your past, if you, you know, drink or use drugs, a lot of times you haven't been showing up for sex completely stark sober. And that's another thing to look at. Now you're postpartum, you're not drinking, you're not using drugs, you're breastfeeding, if you are, um, or hopefully minimizing those, those things. And that's a whole other thing. Like, how are you showing up to being intimate sober when maybe you rarely have been sober your entire sexual time of your life, you know, for like 10, 15, 20 years, are you mostly inebriated when you have sex, even sometimes with your partner? Um, so that's a big hurdle to be aware of too. And renegotiating what that looks like, like what does foreplay look like if you're not fucked up? 
or what is cuddling or intimacy or just lying in bed. You know, the baby could be next to you or baby in the bassinet and you really getting to connect heart to heart with your husband and share about like what you both are going through in this massive transition. Um, I think, you know, every couple will go through some hardships as parents. I mean, that's part of the work. It's part of the walk as a parent. And knowing how to communicate is just the key. Knowing how to fight or disagree, rather, without hitting below the belt, without being cruel, without being rageful. How can you show up for each other knowing that your partnership is the most important part of your family, really, because the baby is an extension of that. And kids want to see their parents in love, happy. You know, it's not pleasant or fun for kids to see their parents bickering all the time. Like, that sucks. Who wants to do that? That's not, that's not how we want to be. And as you've listened to other podcasts, you know, self-care our own self-care showing up for ourselves and putting our needs first is so paramount because when we are whole and happy and coming from a healthy place, we actually have the energy to be able to communicate lovingly and openly with our partners. When we're completely at our bottom, exhausted, wrung out, zero alone time, that's where we're going to bark and we're going to be pissy with one another. And it's not going to actually serve our family. So, you know, self-care is always an underlying theme for everything, I feel like, in life and parenthood and learning how to take responsibility for our own needs. I feel like whatever your partner can add is fabulous, but it really starts with us tending to our own needs. The other thing is creating space which is a hard one, especially if we don't have nannies or, you know, recurring childcare through the week. How do we create that space to be with your partner and not have to be talking about the kids the whole time, not talking about schedule, not having like family meeting time, but just to be with one another, whether that's a walk, it's a movie, early dinner. You know, that's what we did when Goldie Wolf was a baby. We made a commitment, which we did for a long time, Saturdays, we'd go get massages and go for an early dinner and be back. And it was like a three-hour thing and still home to go to bed at like eight. You know, it doesn't have to be a late night thing, but just carving out that space and time. And personally, my husband and I leave in four days to go to Costa Rica on a couple's retreat, which I am excited about and also having anxiety about leaving my kids for a week. I've never been away that long and I've never been to another country without my kids. So I'm definitely having some big feelings over here and um, working my way through them and getting everything lined up, writing lots of notes to the caregivers. My mom's coming, our nanny will be here. Just stocking the fridge, you know, stocking the diapers and the wipes and getting everything set so I can leave and feel like everything's pretty well-stocked and settled here. But it's, you know, it's jumping off a ledge for me. It's a really big deal. And we decided to do that because after two kids and 10 years together, it's important to upgrade your relationship. It is important 
to be honest about where you are and where you need help. And we've had different moments in our marriage where we really needed help and we had enough foresight to reach out and get that help that we needed. Uh, We also have the monetary means to do that. So I know that can be a deal breaker for a lot of people. But there are many great books out there. You can listen on Audible together. So there are are lots of different ways to get help. But you both have to be on board. And I know a lot of, you know, women say to me, oh, well, my husband would never be into therapy. But, you know, there is a way to always improve the communication. And I do think having a third party really helps. So it's not you both just, you know, yelling at each other to get your points across. It's really looking at the relationship. How can you both come together to be partners in this family? And especially a shout out to all the moms with more than one kid, because this is what I'm going through. So I'll just kind of share my experience. But you can kind of get away with a lot when you have one kid. At least we did. So we would tag team a lot. We would have, you know, our own things going on that we'd be together as a family also. But it's just different when it's a trio. You get a little bit more free time. You get a little bit more space to have things that like maybe aren't perfect, but they're fine. Then you add a second kid or I can't even fathom a third kid, but for me, a second kid. And it's like, you got to like tighten those bootstraps. So all those places where energy was leaking or like, he was letting me get away with a behavior and not really saying it. And I was letting him kind of get away with things that annoyed me. But then you have a second kid and it's like, you you know, this house has to kind of run like a ship. Like it has to be organized on a schedule. I mean, I'm not too tight with it, but to make our lives sane and we're all getting enough sleep, like it is a production. Like I feel like a producer of my family. And it's really important to acknowledge that and just be like, okay, like we still love each other. We're still good, but we need an upgrade. We need to go to that next level. And, you know, we're trained in so many things in our life. We go to school our whole lives. We train for jobs. We do all of these things, so much effort, so much effort, get this, do this, do this to lead you to this career or this path. And then we just kind of assume that we're going to meet that starry-eyed person across the room and they're our soulmate. And then we're going to hook up and we're going to be together and then we're going to have kids together and it's all just going to work out and it's going to be awesome. And that's just a really naive approach. And it's not our fault. We did not grow up with that advice that counseling was a really great positive. It's not just a sign that you're failing. It's acknowledgement that you are investing your time your money and your intention. You're manifesting the relationship you want to be having with your chosen partner. We should be getting accolades for going to therapy. Government should be paying us to go to therapy is what I believe. But, you know, none of us grew up that way. And statistically, a lot of separations and divorces happen after the second kid, which ties back to what I was saying before. It's like you kind of get away with behavior and then maybe you have a second kid to like, reinvigorate that love, but you're not doing the work behind it. And then you have the second kid and you're even more exhausted, busy, barely keeping it together. And you haven't put the, you know, the relationship high priority. And so the relationship 
really suffers. And it's really heartbreaking to see that. But it is common. So it's something to be aware of, especially if you're going for that second, just to know that. And there's no shame in in needing help. And, you know, there are cheaper ways to find help. There are free ways. There are groups. There's Al-Anon. There's AA. If there's substance abuse issues, you know, there's many resources that can be found in your city. You just have to do a little bit of a digging. Um, but anything that allows you to really look at your behaviors, subconscious or known, have the guts to really delve into the work and support your partner as they do the same. And if we're with male partners, you know, they have gotten screwed in this patriarchal system as well. They haven't had, you know, perfect parenting either. They haven't had perfect role models, just as we as women have not had perfect role models. You know, a lot of, I mean, it depends how old you are and how old your spouse is, but as a generalization, our male husbands or partners, you know, their fathers weren't probably around a lot. They were working the whole time. So there's a lot of fear that comes up when their wife gets pregnant or has a baby that they're going to be the shitty dad that their dad was, or they're scared of that. And some men don't feel comfortable expressing that. They don't want to add to your burden. You're going through the thing. You're the pregnant one. They need to toughen up. You know, it's a lot going on all at once. So any outside help can be just so, so beneficial. And it also, I think, is so important to get at least a couple of therapy sessions when you are pregnant so you have a baseline. You have a relationship with a therapist that you like, whether it's just for you, mom, or as couple, but you have a baseline. So then when you come back postpartum, if you are going through hard times in your relationship or solo, that you kind of know where you started from and can get a deeper level of help that way and support. Without going too, too deep into it, I think something that's really fascinating is the work of Stan Tatkin. And he's someone that we've gone to, and I really love his work. And he's got quite a few books out there. And again, you can listen on Audible if you don't have time to read a book, if you're a new mom. But it's really interesting, the science behind partnership and how a lot of times we are drawn to our partners based on what is familiar. And like I said before, that doesn't always mean healthy. It's what's familiar to our own childhood. So even if you're like determined to not go for a man like your dad, it's interesting because a lot of times there will be some of the same attributes, some of the same habits, even though it might look really differently, it still is triggering you in the same way. And it doesn't always have to be the opposite sex parent either. You can have a partner that has a lot of your mother's attributes or even grandparents. But it's just, it's a very interesting thing. And Stan goes into the whole history behind that and what that really means. But how we unconsciously are triggering each other by our body language, by our facial expressions. And sometimes it's so subconscious. It's like, have you ever been with your partner and they just do one little thing that's not even a big deal, but for whatever reason, it just like stabs you in the heart. It's like this deep, deep wound from childhood. And you're like, I don't even know what the fuck this is. Like what just happened? And it's because it is finding its way into your subconscious and your old 
habits or you as a child and what those wounds are. So that I think is so, so helpful. That's kind of like the next level of help, but it's really helpful to know what each other's triggers are and then not do that. So like talk therapy is a great first step for so, so many people. And I love talk therapy. And also, if you've done that for a while and you need to go a little bit deeper, knowing that in each moment, we can show up for each other as the best partners we can be. For example, my husband can know that I have this trigger. Let's say it's like, if he talks to me from another room, that's not really one, but let's just say, if I'm having a conversation and he walks in the other room to like pick something up or even get the baby and he continues talking, let's say that just like drives me insane from a deep old wound. It's not really up to him to have a judgment about that. Like he, that can annoy him for sure. But as my partner, it is up to him if he wants to remain in a marriage with me, a loving, supportive relationship. It is up to him to know that's my trigger and with all his might, try not to do that and vice versa. So it's like, we're going to trigger each other. I mean, we're all annoying people at times, but really to go, okay, I don't understand why that's their trigger and it doesn't even matter. It's not up to me to, to understand it or say it's good or bad. It is what is. And I'm going to love my partner through this so much. That I'm going to do my very best to not do that anymore. And it's amazing making this little switch has created so much more openness in our communication. And just like little tips like that can go a really long way just to know that you're acknowledged. Because I feel like so much of this postpartum and new moms, you know, we're just, we're fucking tired. We're so tired. And we just want to know that we're being seen and we're being heard. And we don't want to come off as complainy, but we need to vent. We need to feel like some other adult human cares what we've been doing for our day. You know, like I felt like those first two years I stayed home with Jemima, you know, I would just, I would have cleaned the house like five times fully by the time he came home from work. And I would like try to have the kitchen perfect for when he came home. And these are all my own expectations I was putting on myself, by the way. But, you know, it just felt like so much work and it's work that no one else really sees but our partner. And they've had a really long day you know, talking to a ton of people. So they're kind of talked out and they've been out in the world. And then here we are, we've been cooped up in a house with our kids and we're kind of craving adult talk and venting and like, never guess what happened this time. And, you know, it can be kind of a polarity situation going on. So just really knowing the ways that we can be seen, we can be heard and you know, maybe that means giving your husband 20 minutes when he gets home to like decompress from his day or your partner, same-sex partner. I don't always mean to say husband. It's just like, that's what I have. So that's what I'm talking from. But just, you know, finding these ways to better be there for one another is just so key and not feeling alone because a lot of parenting can feel alone and isolating, especially those first couple of years. And, you know, a little fun and playfulness like playfulness goes a long way in a relationship like sometimes that's even 
hotter than sex. It's just like having your partner look across the room at you like they used to or like a smile or a grin or just like walking past you and they touch your butt or your back or like the back of your neck, you know, just like having those points of intimacy and feeling like, you know, a woman and that you're loved and you're appreciated and you're not having to give more than you feel capable of at this time is a really, really important piece to having a healthy life postpartum and beyond into motherhood. So I hope this was helpful. Uh, More to be discussed for sure, but I just wish for you, wherever you are on this journey, that you're listening to your own body, you're listening to your intuition, you're respecting your own boundaries, and that you are able to find the words to clearly and openly communicate these with your partner and come from a place of love and compassion. And I hope that your words and your needs will be met with love and acceptance as well. Thank you for joining in and Jema. 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 Jema.